Good morning. It's so nice to see all of you here with us today, and good morning to all of you that are live streaming with us. So many people have said they're so thankful for the live streaming so that they're able to stay connected this summer while they're traveling and up north. It's an exciting week here at Mayflower as we're embarking on Art Week. We have 45 grade school children that will be descending upon our property tomorrow morning at 9. We have our middle school and high schoolers that will be leading the groups as the children experience God's art through lots of different forms. They will be working with um, Julia Brown with the organ and on the harp, and they will have cooking and painting and dance and comedy, all sorts of ways that they are going to be able to see God in the world around them. So if you are looking for something to do, In the mornings this week, please feel free to stop by anytime before noon. Another event happening this week on Friday is the memorial service of Ardith Wickman. The family has asked that we invite all of you who knew Ardith to come by Friday at 11 for her service. There will be a service here in the sanctuary to remember Ardith and a luncheon to follow. Today's prayer cards will be picked up during the first hymn, and then Pastor Eric will be up front after the service to pray with you. I'd like to invite Julia to come forward and share a moment from music. Today's music has all been inspired by the scripture reading in Isaiah 6. Um, we'll hear that later on, but you will be singing portions of that scripture in that first hymn, Holy, 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 and in the middle hymn, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. Those are all, you'll hear echoes and portions of the Isaiah 6 text. Um, uh, the offertory today is sung by Josh Ledesma, who is here as our cantor and soloist. It is a traditional spiritual with a beautiful setting by William Cutter. And again, it's um, uh, the, the spirit and the, the, the feel of the spiritual is very uplifting and praising God, which is what we'll hear in the Isaiah text. I invite you to join with me on the call to worship, which you will find on page two inside the bulletin this morning. So will you join your voice with mine uh, when it says people? (laughs) And we begin. In all times and in all places, God is with us. God's love flows over and around us lifting us in hope. Shout for joy. Get ready to become disciples for Jesus. Make us ready to serve you.
let us pray together. Almighty, omnipotent God, our gracious Father, we are here in your presence this morning to worship, to sing your praise, to hear your word, and sense that you are moving in our lives. Our faith, Lord, is rooted deep in your word. And therefore, we know whom we have believed and are persuaded that you are able to do above and beyond our expectation and our comprehension. Come, surround us in your love. Fill us with your joy. Supply us with all we need, gifts, strength, support, encouragement, direction, wisdom, and even more, Lord, so we may be fully obedient as we live to serve your pleasure. In the name and the power of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite the children worshiping with us to come forward at this time for the children's message. Let's sit up here, buddy. So this summer, we have decided that we are going to do a series called Did You Know? And I got to meet with Mary Vandergoot, who is a member here at Mayflower, and she has shared with me all of the symbols that are throughout our sanctuary and our church. And so throughout the summer, we're going to share them here at Children's Message. But my hope is that all of us can learn together what is surrounding us um, as we sit and worship. So, friends, I have some symbols to show you, and I want you to tell me what they mean. Tinley, do you know what this means? Do you guys know? No? Do you know what this means? All right, let's see if the grown-ups know. What does this mean? Peace. All right, let's see if they know the next one. Do you guys know this one first? No? What about this one? Recycling. And You knew that one? Okay, good. I bet you know this one. A love. Yes, a heart represents love. Did you know? Look at these windows that are around our building. Did you know that those mean something? A long, long time ago, when the people were designing this building and this church, they had two decisions to choose from when they built windows. 
They could build clear windows like this, or they could build colorful windows that a lot of churches have that have stained glass. Well, the people that built this church decided they wanted to have clear windows because they wanted, while we worshipped, for us to have God's nature and God's presence to come in and to be a part of what we were doing. And then for after we worship, for then our prayers and who we are in God's love to go out, if you guys look outside, we get to take our faith and go out to others. So sometimes you will go to churches and there will be pretty glass, colorful windows. But in our church, we have beautiful, clear windows. So we get to see God come in and we get to show God out to all those outside. Yeah. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so thankful for you, and we are so thankful for your wisdom and who you are and your presence here with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, let's stand up, and we are going to go with Mrs. Coster to Sunday school.
This morning's scripture reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and can be found on page 487 of your Pew Bible. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was the year that King Uzziah died. Or was it the year that President Kennedy was assassinated? Or was it the year of 9-11 when the towers came down? Or was it January 6th when the Capitol was invaded? Or was it today, June 12, 2022? Well, it was the year when things fell apart, when the foundations were shaken, When national security was threatened, personal comforts lost, entitlements vanished. It was the year that King Uzziah died. That seems like uh, just a throwaway phrase, doesn't it? But stop for a moment. Uzziah was king of the tiny nation of Judah for 52 years years. Rather incredible. For most of the people in the land, he was the only king they knew. And rather remarkably so, he's considered a good king among all those kings that are talked about. Now, he didn't have the 70-year reign of Elizabeth, but for tiny Judah, 52 years. You see, being a king in those days, that was a high-risk job. I mean, two kings lasted for three months. No king of Judah had ruled this long. And it was a good time 
for the nation. God was pleased. The army was strengthened. The economy was humming prosperity for all. But now Uzziah was dead. And reality is that an Assyrian king by the name of Tiglath-Pileser, that's a name to remember, was looming on the horizon. He really was. And their future was uncertain. A half a century of prosperity. Now tension, questions, and fear. I wonder if the inhabitants of Judah might have felt a little bit like the Ukrainians felt three months ago, looking out as the Russian army amassed at their border. The activation of the nuclear arsenal. A threatening time. We've known threatening times in ways those of you who Grew up in the 60s. Yeah. Some of you were, you know, alive and well and developing and merging into adulthood in those crazy, crazy years. There was a song uh, by the Kingston Trio that made its way kind of halfway up the pop charts. It never got up to the top and didn't really deserve to. But it, you know, maybe some of you remember it. It spoke, uh, you know, pretty... Pretty poignantly to the times of the 60s. The words went like this. They're rioting in Africa. They're starving in Spain. There's hurricanes in Florida and Texas needs rain. The whole world is festering with unhappy souls. The French hate the Germans and the Germans hate the Poles. Italians hate Yugoslavs. South Africans hate the Dutch. And I... I don't like anybody very much. (laughs) But we can be tranquil and thankful and proud, for mankind's been endowed with a mushroom-shaped cloud. And we know for certain that some lovely day, someone will set the spark off and we'll all be blown away. They're rioting in Africa. There's strife in Iran. What nature doesn't do to us will be done by our fellow man. That was the optimistic view of the 60s that we experienced as young people. Well, Isaiah, he pulls himself away from the news that's only depressing. Mass shootings, national divisions, Chaos and paralysis in Washington. And Isaiah, he goes to church. He goes to a big church. Like the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., only lots bigger than that. The temple in Jerusalem. And what he sees. What he sees causes him to cry out. And then he hears a call. And then he says, I'll go. I'll go. Three views. He looks three directions. 
And that's going to be our focus in these next three weeks. First, today, he looks up. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And then he looks in. And he says, whoa, I really need to change. And then he looks out. What can I do? I'll go. I'll go with this message. I want to say that I think looking in those three directions is how we should approach every day of our life. To look up. To get our bearings, our foundation, as it were, from our God. To look in. To address ourselves. What needs to be done with this person? With me. And then to look out. Into chaos. Into need. Into hurt. Into pain. And say, here I am. I'll go. Great for us all. Every day. Now, this is Isaiah's story. And we all have a story. What about your story? Have you ever had an experience that changed in a basic kind of way how you see life? Maybe it was an event. Maybe an encounter like Isaiah has here. Maybe it was a new kind of understanding. Maybe it was a relationship that was new. Well, I would want to say, you know, the church. The church is a place for storytelling. Where each of us tell our story. Where we listen to one another. Where anyone is safe to come and tell their story. And know that there will be people there that will hear and listen and appreciate and care. So be transparent. Tell your story. Well, Isaiah's story here begins by looking up. And he sees the Lord. The Lord Almighty, high and lifted up. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't give a description of God. He doesn't talk about his height, his weight, his complexion. Isaiah just stands on the raw edge of terror. At the very boundaries of human expression. He speaks of the immense border of God's robe that fills the temple. And of fiery creatures that are flying about singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And the temple shakes the foundations of this massive structure. And smoke fills the temple. Trying to describe the indescribable. But notice... There's nothing about Isaiah saying, you know, I'm kind of unhappy because they didn't sing my favorite hymn. 
There's nothing about personal preference. There is just a raw edge encounter with ultimate reality. A lot of emphasis in church today is, you know, making sure that everybody feels good. Well, Isaiah has gone to church and he receives this vision. And it's not about feeling good. He just pulls back the curtain of heaven and lets us see God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth. Now his vision. It encompasses the whole world. The whole earth is full of his glory. Parker Palmer is one of my favorite authors, and he has written, In the Japanese art of Aikido, I don't know if I said that right, there is a practice called soft eyes. Soft eyes. It means to widen one's periphery, to take in more of the world. You know, if a stimulus, an experience, or something startling comes to a person, the the default, the normal reaction is to narrow our eyes and to either fight or flight, slug it out or run away, that kind of response. But soft eyes, Palmer says, transcends the normal response. Soft eyes is an evocative image for what happens when we gaze on sacred reality. And now our eyes are open and receptive, able to take in the greatness of the world and the great grace that is in all, all things. How is our eyes? Are they soft? How is our perspective? How are we looking at today? Maya Angelou writes, If you must look back, do so forgivingly. If you must look forward, do so prayerfully. However, the wisest thing you can do is to be present in the moment gratefully. Well, today, as we gaze upon God, what is our vision? For Isaiah, he has this just overwhelming experience. But you get the feeling that's not not so much what happens in our world today. The writer, teacher, scholar, Christian Smith, who hangs out at Notre Dame, not far from here, has done some exhaustive study, especially of young people in our country. And he looked particularly at the decade after high school from age 18 to age 28. 
And as he looks at the faith and worship practices of that decade of young people, he says, you know, they're, they're believers, they're deists. They believe in God. But it's a God who is there to come to their aid. Kind of like a butler or a chauffeur. He refers to a book that was written that maybe uh, characterizes their view of um, you know what parents are around for. Book titled "Get Out of My Life." But first, could you drive me and Cheryl to the mall? <laughs> to me, that's the god of the bullpen. Sit out there beyond the outfield fence. Watch the game. Let us other guys, we'll play it. But if at the end, you know, it comes down to the bottom of the ninth and, you know, somehow they get the bases loaded and we need you, we'll signal and you better come running and save us. That's not the God of Isaiah. And over, over again. Our tendency is to remake God in our own image. To shrink him down to our level. But Isaiah hears and sees. Holy, holy, holy. That word basically means separate. He's not somebody you high five in congratulations. He's somebody who is set apart. He's not part of creation. He's not a created being. He is the creator who has chosen to be involved and be with his creation. Well, sometimes it's just Hard to take that in, isn't it? To sit quietly. To be whole. Or awesome. Inexpressible. God. Known only because He wants us to know Him. Joan Chittister took orders in the Catholic Church woman now in her 80s who has spoken widely around the world and an author of note, recently wrote this. She was hearing a message on Psalm 23, the favorite of all the psalms. And she wrote in her journal, Life doesn't feel like green pastures and steel waters to me. It feels more like living death. That might have been a bit of how Isaiah felt that day. Chistershire writes, Everyone around me is still producing, still building, still going on. But I'm cut off at the root with nothing to show for it. You know, she's kind of feeling a little sorry for herself there because she's had an impact. On thousands and thousands of people. But this is what she's feeling. I'm empty. 
Useless, doing nothing, going nowhere. The speeches in the books flash and fade, and I am embarrassed by my existence. So where is God in all of this? What is life without life? I feel like I'm on the other side of a window pane, looking in, but no one sees me. No one is unkind. It's just that they don't care. It is make-your-own-way time, and I don't know how. I wonder if we feel a bit like that. I think Isaiah, he felt like that. But with soft eyes, he went to the temple and he saw the Lord, the indescribable one, high and lifted up. That was enough for him to behold the glory of God. May we see with soft eyes. God and His glory. Amen. As we worship this morning, may we take a moment to ask God to continue to grow us as people who give, that we give not only with our tithes and offerings, but with our words and our actions. May we seek each day to be a blessing wherever we are, to be set apart by loving others because we were first loved by God.
Lord, we thank you for this time that is set apart to bring us closer to you. Thank you that offering is a part of every Sunday morning as the act of giving to others is where your heart lies. And so by giving, we can join you in your mission of love. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. As we pray this morning, I want to come down and be where you are. This is our prayer time together. And I have a special prayer request. Some of you will know Rudine Fairman. And just this week, she has uh, been uh, connected with hospice. And so we want to pray for Rudine as she faces what would be the closing days of her life. So let's bow our heads together and think about how very close God is with us this morning. Let's pray. Blessed Heavenly Father, all your promises are trustworthy. And all life's questions are answered in you. We worship you, the fountainhead of all blessing and the source of all life. You are the one who supplies strength to the weary, increases power to the faint, and offers escape to the tempted. You sympathize with the hurting. You shield the defenseless. You enrich the poor. You sustain the helpless and shelter the homeless. You, Lord, give purpose to the aimless and comfort to the lonely, beauty to the meek a future to the hopeless, and life to the lifeless. So today, Lord, we need your love and your healing in a world of lonely, frightened people. Give each of us a heart that is broken with the things that break your heart. From your fatherly heart, Lord God, surround the folks here at Mayflower with answers to their needs. And we bring before you Rudine Fairman, asking, Lord, in these uncertain days, you will be present to give comfort and courage. And there are others, Lord, we haven't named them. They haven't particularly asked for prayer, but, Lord, they need you. All of us at Mayflower need you, Lord. So we pray, give each of us an unquenchable love for your gospel, for your son, for your word, and for you. Use us to make an eternal difference in the lives of people all around us.
Make us so trustworthy in our faith that others around us will want to know you because they know us as people who deeply and sincerely love and serve you. Now, Lord, as we join our voices in the prayer that Jesus taught us, make it the genuine prayer of our hearts. And together we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
as we stand this side of that day of Pentecost, we believe that this God high and lifted up has actually come by His Spirit to dwell within us. It is that thought that prompted the Apostle Paul to write one of the great benedictions of the New Testament that I close our service with today. Now to Him, who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish far more than we can even ask or imagine. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.